how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, Season 2, Episode 17. We are uh, happy to be here, are we not? We're very happy to be here. Very happy to be here, and uh, continuing a series again tonight. Um Another heavy hitter in the studio with mm-hmm. us for an interview, mm-hmm. Pastor Jacob Reom. We uh, we know you're going to really enjoy this. So bef- before we go there, we're just going to give a shout out to our unofficial sponsor, the CBC, the Canadian <laughs> Broadcasting Corporation. Thanks so much for uh, boosting the Dominion stats. If Mr. Uh, Montpetit is listening, thank you very much for uh, playing sound clips of the truth on the CBC. It's nice to hear the truth echo across the government-funded media in our country. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. You don't get too much of that. Uh, so, yeah, and then, our, of course, our other unofficial sponsors, Kawartha uh, Classical Christian School, which we're both uh, on the board of. And, uh, you know, we just uh, we just want to thank all the teachers and, mm-hmm. and Principal Auger for the work they're doing there, uh, just seeing the ongoing growth of the students and the the love and care for which they uh, they they perform their duties mm-hmm. at um, uh, you know slave wages basically. <laughs> um, we love them and we love the children and that's why we're doing that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you had any more you want to talk about with the school, but no, we're just thankful we're coming up to the end of a, another year and a week from now, and God's been faithful to us. Yeah. And our prayer is, above all is that hearts would be tuned and minds will be trained to the glory of Christ and that by God's grace is happening and um, we're seeing the fruit in our in the students lives and mm-hmm. that's that's our highest aim that God would be glorified that they would turn to him in faith and we continue to pray for yeah. that thank you for everyone our listeners who yeah. do support us financially prayerfully um, we do really appreciate it this yes. is this is a mission that not a few people can accomplish that we need everyone to band together and we're coming to the end and um, God's been faithful. And a lot of that's been through those of you who help. So thank you very much. Great. And uh, as usual, like subscribe, um, do all the things that uh, you do on social media that get the word out and make those algorithms just to, you know, bump us to the top there you go our our subs our website's now dominionpress.ca that's right so, so you we don't, updated that you don't have to go to the Substack address i can you still go to the Substack address i'm not sure just go to dominionpress.ca okay dominionpress.ca is where you got to go and of course our official sponsor the owner of the studio here tristan inglis of upper40.com shout out new uh remodel as you notice got the now new with, digs now with more firearms Right? Look at that red end sign too. Come on, would you it's, just look at it's it? It's a little small. It, it it's subtle. It's subtle. Maybe we'll have to get them to make that a little bigger. It's almost as if we're not proud of we're our. Not, I know province, but we need to be proud. We need to be proud. Look, if people fly the other flags for their pride, we can fly that one. With That's pride. right. That's right. Yeah, despite all its failings. Yeah. So he helps yeah. us a lot, but we do he have does. a slight criticism. <laughs> Where's the big flag? When are we going to get the big flag in here? Do I have to go weave that sucker myself or what? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we, we just had a great conversation with Pastor Jacob. But you have any uh, post 
post-interview thoughts before we cut over to that? I, I just really appreciate um, Pastor Jacob, and we wanted to have someone who's who's in the trenches. Yeah. Uh, even our unbelieving state-funded media recognizes that Jacob is a key player here. Now, not for the reasons that they think, uh, but he's a faithful pastor, and, and he and Trinity Bible Chapel have really led the charge, not only in Ontario, but Canada, yep. for the supremacy of Christ over all the nations, and including ours. Yep. And if you listen to the men at West, even, who were who were persecuted, they will testify that Jacob strengthened them. Mm. We're going to be having on our show, Lord willing, um, a pastor from Germany, Pastor Tobias, and he gave a testimony mm. that Pastor Jacob was a, a big reason why he stood and 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 stood up to the tyranny of the state and for the glory of Christ. And so, uh, Jacob has had an enormous impact on a lot of men to love yeah. and treasure Christ and his word. And so that's why we wanted to have him on. When you see uh, courage and boldness and fearlessness coupled with such humility and love for God's word, yeah. it's really inspiring. Because, you know, we're all familiar with the political figures who who seem courageous and, and they're out there, they're loud and proud and all this stuff. And that that just doesn't do it. For me, but when I see someone like like Jacob, who has uh, such a love for the gospel mm-hmm. and for for uh, the lordship of Christ, uh, that that makes me want to that makes me want to do the right thing. And, oh yeah, and be courageous myself. So it's yeah, and, and and far from being a threat to our nation, that if if every city in our nation had ten Trinity Bible chapels, each of them with a pastor of with Jacob's convictions and his character, um, our nation would be so blessed. Yep. And we... Well, that would certainly be a sign of blessing. Yeah, it would be a sign of revival for yep. sure. Yep. And so we hope you enjoy the conversation as part of our ongoing conversation about Christ and the nations. And uh, tune in next week for another special guest. All right, let's cut over. All right. Well, we are happy to have Pastor Jacob Rayom on the podcast tonight. He is a somewhat familiar guest for those who tune in to the Dominion podcast on our small corner of the internet. Although our corner got a shout out this week. Our corner is growing increasingly larger. (laughs) And, And we would like to personally thank the cbc who's our unofficial sponsor our new unofficial sponsors our new unofficial sponsors they gave us the biggest push i think we've ever received on the podcast this week they mentioned us and they even clipped some of our it it was great hearing the the truth on the cbc for once yeah yeah we had to do a double take on that one (laughs) can't believe they let this pass the censors yeah (laughs) so we'll actually include a link probably we'll return the favor right if they're going to push us on their platform we could at least push them on ours (laughs) 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 whatever that means to them (laughs) but uh yeah in, in all seriousness welcome to the pod and we're happy to have jacob with us this week and we are continuing our conversation about christ and the nations. Um, the reason why we wanted to have Pastor Jacob on the show is that he has not only been doing um, really laying theological groundwork for many years now, but but I would say on my radar in the last three years uh, on the topic of Christ and the nations, um, but he has been applying this theology 
the theology of Scripture in the context of his local church uh, for years as well. And in a very real sense, Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo is the epicenter of a renewed vision for Christ and his supreme authority over the nation and nations, without a doubt. And that was that was acknowledged, actually, by the CBC, who very much um, portrayed Jacob and Trinity as, as a leader in, in this movement. Now, they use somewhat pejorative and, and misleading terms, but it is, it is true mm-hmm. that God's doing a great work at Trinity, Amen. and He is blessing His Word with His Spirit, and He is raising up Christians who love and treasure the authority of Jesus Christ and um, are applying the gospel to every square inch of their lives, and, and we give thanks to God for that. Jacob has also produced a documentary, um, the Antichrist or Antichrist and His Ruin, last year, which provides really a rich history and theology of the relationship between Christ and His Church and the state um, throughout Church history. You know, picking up on Bunyan, but especially in Canada. So I would uh, commend this to all of our listeners, encourage you to purchase this. You can go to antichristdocumentary.com. We'll have a link below. You can click on that. We would encourage you to purchase this, send it to your friends, send it to your family. Um, As I said, Jacob was recently featured on a CBC investigative article and a podcast documentary, um, which sought to highlight, we'll say, the the rise of Christian nationalism. I think dox is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, that's what was going on. So we'll get to that article as well. But thanks so much for joining us, Jacob. We really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to, to be with you, brothers. Great. Um, so the, the first question I have is, uh, what is a Christian nation? Because really, this 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 question, or the answer to this question, is really what divides a lot of Christians. We're not really getting divided over the particulars of of what exactly the laws would look like, or, or really the division begins with the um, with this concept that there is such a thing as a Christian nation. And what what would you ask someone, you know, is what is a Christian nation and is it possible for a nation to be Christian? Well, there's two words in there. The first is Christian and the second is nation. And I think the first one might be a little easier to define than a second one. Mm. Um, as you look at how nations come to be in the Bible, they, we, we tend to think in geopolitical categories. Uh, and where you have these large, almost empires. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have an empire. Uh, the, the, Can- the country of Canada is so large and vast, and it really composes. It's composed of many different nations, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, and and that's even acknowledged in some of our laws. For example, we have the First Nations who are given special mm-hmm. uh, privilege for having being acknowledged that they were here. Uh, before the European settlers came. So, mm. and then you have the French nation or the Quebecois nation. Mm-hmm. And then in English Canada used to be more of a, I, I guess you could say a, a British, you know, the cousins of the British nation. And we were a British colony at one point mm-hmm. with Irish and, and Scots uh, mixed in. So 
I mean, there's a level, there, there's a cultural identity that's attached to that. There's an attachment, I think, to the soil. Uh, there's a common heritage. There's a common history. Mm. And then within the heritage, history, and an attachment to the soil, uh, there's a common set of ideals. And I guess that's where you get to the Christian side of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's when we talk about a Christian individual, we're talking about somebody who's regenerate and born again. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about a Christian entity, like a Christian university or or even a Christian church or a Christian family or a Christian business, you're talking about the ideals that are embedded within the expectations. Um, what is taboo within that organization? What is um, praised and within that organization? And so I guess if you're you're talking about a Christian nation, in my mind, if because we did call Canada a Christian nation in my documentary that we that we produced. Yes. And that was before everyone started talking about Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. So you could say we kind of coined the term, mm-hmm. but <laughs> not <laughs> <Thanks>. really. But <laughs> but but it was really like we we used the phrase Christian nation producing a documentary this time last year mm-hmm. and nobody was fighting over this term mm-hmm. back then. Mhm. So and and so I think you have the combination of this common heritage, this common culture, this common attachment to the land, this common history, and then the ideals that shape it um, would be Christian ideals, and I think specifically derived from the moral law of God. Mm-hmm. And so, Jacob, you would say that a nation can be legitimately described as a Christian nation, even where not every citizen of that nation is a Christian. That's right. In the same way that that even, I mean, you and I both pastor churches that we would say are Christian churches, but mm-hmm. I don't think... I, I think you know. There's always weeds mixed. There's there's weeds mixed up within the the, the church at times, yes. and we've seen that, and that's why we have church discipline mm-hmm. process. So, yeah, you know, we we wouldn't be able to say I'm absolutely 100 percent certain that everyone within the membership of the church is is totally regenerate. I mm-hmm. think the majority are, and that's what mm-hmm. shapes the culture of the church. Mm-hmm. Is kind of that majority um, group that kind of ascends to leadership mm-hmm. and takes ownership of what's going on, but uh, there is the reality of apostasy within the church at Mm -hmm. times and people fall away, not because they lose their salvation, but because they were never saved. So Mm -hmm. can you have a Christian church where everyone's not Christian? Yes. Can you have a Christian business? I mean, there's businesses in our area that I would say are Christian businesses and that's because they're owned by Christians operating Christian principles and even Christian families. Yes. Um, You know, you're not going to assume that all the, we're, all the children are, are regenerate and born again mm-hmm. within the families and universities and so on. So I think in the same way that you can have all of those organizations that are Christian, you can have a, a nation that, that is foundationally and fundamentally Christian, which I think Canada, even with its flaws earlier on in, in you know, at Confederation mm-hmm. uh, and beyond and before was a Christian nation, mm-hmm. um, uh, not a perfect one, but it was one. Mm-hmm. So we can say a nation is Christian in at least two senses, that it is comprised of born-again Christians to whatever degree, and that the laws and customs and structures and values of that group of people reflect Christian laws and principles and values. And so when people when people respond to with criticism to say, you can't have a Christian nation unless everyone's a Christian. 
we're kind of talking past each other. Like no, no one is saying that Canada is presently or was or, or, or likely ever will be, despite, you know, we do pray to that end, entirely Christian. Um, now, this, this is a kind of the other question that Christians come up with, um, perhaps in an attempt to guard the necessity of the new birth. This happens among Baptists a lot more, too is they are hesitant to um, expect unbelievers to abide by the same standard. Right. And so there's a hesitancy there. There's They would want to say, well, you can't expect someone who has not been born again and had the law of God written on their heart to abide by the law. Right. And part of that is just a realistic, there's a partly realistic and biblical idea in there. But it doesn't follow that we should abandon the biblical standard, right? Right. And and so well, the thing is, is, yep. is if you if you look at um, if you look at first, like if you look at First Timothy one, I think it is. Yeah. It, who was the law written for? It was written for the disobedient and the yes. ungodly. And Paul goes in, and then he actually lays out the Decalogue in that passage, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I. He he clearly lays out the second table of the law, but I would argue he actually, in in with one term for each law, lays out the entire both both tables. Mm. And so I think that um, you know, the law of God, yes, it's written as a is an instruction guide for God's people who are legitimately born again, but it's also uh, written to inform and teach the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to live mm-hmm. and and keep wickedness at bay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also as a I suppose the basis of God's ultimate judgment on unbelievers. Yeah, like what that's is right? What that's is right. Sin and I, for unbelievers, if not according to God's yeah. law, that's absolutely right. And so to to say, well, we don't expect people to obey God's word if they're ungodly. Well, yes and no. I understand what what human nature is, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I you know. We're not going to go around. You can't. You can't take that logic to its end and go around and excuse any form of ungodliness. Everyone's yeah. going to have a standard and yes. say that is unacceptable. Yes, yeah. right yeah. for the ungodly or not. And I and and I'm just advocating for the fact that violations of God's law is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. We can't accept it as Christians. I don't care what culture you're from or what religion you're from or what ideology you're from. I do not accept violations of God's law is yeah. okay. Yeah. And and neither does God. Mm-hmm. And we could probably say even further than this, that God's law, his moral law based on his character is actually, um, the entire world is based on this, yes. uh, based on him. It's created, um, you know, with the grain of, of the reality of God. And so part of, part of, what we can say too, it's when the unbeliever makes up a new law, it's going to go against the grain of reality. Like, it's not like we have a private law and a private belief and they have one and they're both equal, except they haven't been born again to believe our value system. The claim of scripture is that God's law and his standard is um, the standard over all of creation and that all of creation works with this grain. And the other thing is, Paul is very clear that even unbelievers um, do have, to a degree in their conscience, 
do do know God's righteous standards. Right. They know something of it. And so you it isn't true, and we've seen this in cultures, that you can't have any expectations in any way ethically on people. Right. And this, no no one actually lives like that. Isn't this just a, a confusion of categories though? Because yeah. of course there's there's things that God has commanded for his people that uh you know, would, should an unbeliever come in and be become a part of God's people, they would be expected to follow that. Like, I'm thinking of uh, church discipline or the necessity of meeting together, mm-hmm. um, fellowship, those sorts of things. The Lord's like, Supper. We're not saying we would expect an unbeliever to abide by those things, but laws against murder, mm-hmm. those aren't neutral laws that just happen to be. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's arguing that we should jettison something like that because it's coming from a religious place, but... There's there's no naturalistic reason to not murder. Yeah, that's that's a Christian law. That's that's God's law. And and I think what we're saying is that regardless of someone's capacity to observe and keep the law in a true sense, which requires faith, that's why Paul talks about the obedience of faith. They still are expected to, and therefore they are judged on on and they are judged on not doing that, right. like. Our inability to obey God's law is part of our judgment. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's you, when you say things like you can't expect an unbeliever to obey God, it's like what? That's that's not a Christian idea. You know, there's a there's a layer to that. It's like I know that realistically, apart from um, God's regenerating work, you cannot love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I do know that. But it doesn't follow that God does not place that burden of responsibility as a creature upon you. Do you know what I'm we, saying? Yeah. We came out of a, and I think you're, you've come from a similar stream to to me, and that was there was a renewal that took place in the early 2000s to the early 2010s, a renewal of an understanding of the gospel, mm-hmm. where uh, you know, soteriologically Calvinism. I think took deep root in a lot of our hearts and was emphasized by some very key players like mm-hmm. uh, John Piper or um, Mark Dever and, mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I think that while that movement helped clarify our understanding of the gospel, which I suspect had somewhat been lost and muddied mm-hmm. through a few situations in the eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. there has not been a recovery of an, of the understanding of the law of God. Mm-hmm. And, and we do, we do need a recovery of the understanding of the law of God. And the reformers all recovered a proper understanding of the law of God. And if we're going to perpetuate this reformation and take it to the next step that uh, we're, we're, we're part of, it, it can't just be a recovery of, of the gospel as fundamental and as important as that is. We need a recovery of the proper biblical understanding of the law and the law's relationship to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, part of this, and I agree with that, Jacob, and part of it is we need to define what we are saying when we say the law. Because one of the criticisms that would, there's an antithesis that some people make between the law and the gospel, which I personally find is unhelpful. If what you mean is old covenant versus new covenant, and you know, you want to talk in ways that the Bible does about the newness of the new covenant or the superiority of the new covenant, that's fine. Um, but even in first Timothy and, and Tim Stevens talks on this, Paul says he, he talks about the law, which is in accordance with the gospel. 
And and part of the problem in that movement, you had Tulian Chavijan and even Paul Tripp to some degree picking up on this law gospel thing, which was part truths in it. But they took them to be absolute airtight categories. So they would say that gospel is all that God has done and the law is all that we must do. And that's just actually not fully true. And God commands everyone everywhere to obey the gospel. And and if we think about the gospel as the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we're talking about the gospel in terms of that event, well, in the Bible, the the standard of ethics and as as love for God and love for neighbor is epitomized in the cross. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which the gospel itself becomes a standard of righteousness, becomes the embodiment of righteousness. So you can't you can't draw these totally airtight categories between the ethical standard for Christians being law and the good news for Christians being gospel. The the gospel serves as the embodiment of all of those things. And so go ahead, Jacob. I think, I think the distinction is, and I, I think the distinction is, is okay. So on, on one hand, we, we really settled in the minds of our generation is, is we were kind of being inspired by men like John Piper and, mm-hmm. and Mark Dever and um, even John MacArthur to an extent. Um, and uh, I think but, but I think that the clarity in, in those cases, a lot of them, I think John MacArthur understands the laws or articulated in some ways, the laws relationship to the gospel very well in his, in his push for lordship, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, but I, but I think the clarity came with them in the doctrine of justification mm-hmm. and the doctrine of, of regeneration to a point. Mm-hmm. However, what I think um, within some of the streams was lacking was the, the necessity to bring forward an obedience to the law yeah, is right. proof that you've been regenerated, right. which is all part of the work of the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if I've truly been regenerated, then I am going to be walking in obedience to the law. My, my obedience to the law isn't going to earn my regeneration. That's mm-hmm. fully founded in Christ, and it's the work of spirit, the spirit of my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's grounded in election, which comes from eternity. And it's a legal status before God that nobody can change, but uh, at least justification is. But the, the, one of the signs that I'm justified is the obedience to the law. Yeah. So I'm I'm walking, and, I, and when I say the law, I'm speaking specifically to the moral law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and and that God, the the natural law that was written on Adam's heart, and now has been written on the hearts of the the regenerate, as per Jeremiah mm-hmm. chapter thirty one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I think that that piece hasn't been emphasized enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so that's one aspect. It, it's to norm the the life of the believer. The law of God is. And then, and then beyond that, the uh, the aspect of the law of God being a teaching tool for all men, yeah. kings and and commoners alike, so that it becomes a restraint in in the lives of the wicked. You're always going to wicked people in society, but the law of God is in place to restrain the wickedness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when that restraint is moved, removed, you have what we are entering into today, and is increasingly so which is um, lawlessness. Yeah. yeah, We have a generation of lawlessness. The floodgates have been opened, and now you and I are considered 
um, hateful radicals because we don't think drag queens should be dancing in front of toddlers. Yeah. And, and that's now the epitome of virtue. Like yeah. literally that type of behavior, drag queens jiggling in front of toddlers is now um, sacrosanct. Yeah. And what we're doing is, is perceived as dirty and evil yeah. because of the lawlessness right now. Like it was literally a crime like four years ago. Yeah. Like that was a, it was a criminal offense yeah. of indecency. Yeah. And well, yet, in my parents, in my parents' lifetime since in, in 1968. So believe it or not, it, sodomy was illegal in 1968. So it mm. means the Leafs, the Toronto Maple Leafs have gone without the Stanley Cup mm. longer mm-hmm. than sodomy has been legal in Canada because mm. the Leafs won the Stanley Cup last in 67 mm-hmm. and sodomy was legalized in Canada in 68. So the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, sodomy was illegal in this country. Mm. Maybe they won't win it until it becomes illegal again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the Bambino's curse, you know. And I just I just want to read some scripture. Those those two points are really good and this speaks to the first one. And I I, I just think a lot of Christians are afraid of legalism. You know, they just throw out this when you confront a brother or sister about some way they're living, oh, you're just being legalistic. Um Let's let's read some scripture on uh, your first point from uh, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, mm-hmm. waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, we're zealous for good works. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the the purpose of the grace we've been given, mm-hmm. right? And this is Paul's argument all through Romans. Like, what do we continue sinning? By no means, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is such a strong passage on that. And all sin is lawlessness. It is. So it's when you put it back into biblical categories. When you say you know obey the law, people might get confused. But other categories are don't be an idolater. Like it means to worship the one true God, you know what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. That's what, that's what we mean. Yeah. So I I think that's pretty basic Christian stuff that we've forgotten, but to your second point, could you maybe flesh that out a little more? So um, God's law as um, a teaching tool for, for the nations as, as a guide for uh, public law. I mean, uh, where would you go to, to sort of point to that, that application of God's law. I would go to first Timothy one, which mm-hmm. tells us the purpose of the law. And it's one of the purpose of the laws law, which is for the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can go to the Romans 13, which tells us right. what the magistrate's job is. And he is to be, he, he really is a minister of God, a deacon of God. Okay, so this, let's talk about that. Sorry to interrupt you. Let's talk about that, Jacob, because the criticism (laughs) that Christians made is you can't expect an unbelieving governor to abide by God's law. But it's like... The Bible says that's literally his job. Yeah, that's literally his <laughs> job. And so, yeah, but maybe, I know, isn't it? It's like, there's one part of me that's like, yeah, you can't expect an unbelieving governor to abide by God's law. But there's another part of me that's like, so like what type of behavior are you willing to excuse? Yeah. yeah. Right. I, like, are you going to excuse mm-hmm. um, a Holocaust of 6 million Jews? Mm-hmm. Because 
the countries blaming all of their ills on on Jews like mm-hmm. they did in Germany. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the the law has to be in place, and 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 we have to be able to be judged by a higher standard than what our governments are giving us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you have an objection to genocide, then on what standard? Like, and if right, you think, I mean, if how, you think how dare wrong. you expect an unbelieving magistrate not to commit genocide? What's <laughs> yeah. wrong with you, you legalist? Yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> well, in, when, oh, in, yeah. in Romans thirteen. He explicitly goes on to mention several of the Ten Commandments. In verse that's right. Eight. He certainly does. He absolutely does. So that's that's what I'm saying. And exegetically, is the irony here is that these Christians are saying you need to obey the government, but then they're re- removing that command from the scriptural context, which clearly, one, okay, your your claim that I need to obey the government is based on the authority of the Bible. Yeah. So the Bible needs to be the standard for our obedience, including what is the government, who is the government, what is the role of the government, and what standard are they to be held to. And Paul very plainly holds them the standard of of we could just say God's moral law, you know, for for shorthand. And it's this is kind of a I mean, it's an exegetically clear case. Romans thirteen, First Timothy are very plain. But it's philosophically impossible otherwise. Like, there has to be a standard. There has to be a moral standard. It's not, there's no actual other option. Like, the idea of a a, a truly pluralistic culture is a myth. It doesn't exist. And we're, I mean, we're seeing that. Videos were going up this week about Armenian parents protesting the drag events, and now the Islamic parents protesting these things. And I was watching thinking, okay, the Rainbow Squad is terrified of the Christians. It's like, dude, you you don't know you, you don't know anything about what'll happen if, if if you guys were transported to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Right? And if if clearly it's not a tolerance of all values and people of different values and we need to agree on an actual standard. And only God's word can provide that consistently. Um, go ahead. I, I was just waiting for, for Jacob to jump in. I figured you'd have something to say, but, uh, <laughs> to that second point and this, this reference to, we got referenced this last week with, uh, Stephen Wellham, mm-hmm. but we didn't actually read it. But in Leviticus, after giving the, the litany of sexual sins that the Israelites were not supposed to perform, we get this in chapter 18, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things for by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean Mm -hmm. and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Mm -hmm. So this standard he's giving to them was the same standard. He judged the Canaanites and the, the Amorites for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's again, there's one standard of righteousness and that's God. And he reveals that in his word. And it's awfully unfair of God to do that, though, because he didn't give them that direct revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the one of the questions I have, maybe we could talk about this is what are the consequences of rejecting Hmm. God's righteousness as the standard for us? Because this article, I mean. When they quoted me in the podcast, they quoted me as saying basically like trans ideology is a threat to the truth, to children, to everything good. And they and I was shocked they let me say that. Yeah. But I realized he's trying to say, do you hear this guy? But it's like, yes, 
Like, like I'm not embarrassed about saying that. It's crazy that you have no shame in promoting these things. And so they think the greatest threat to our world is a Christian church in Waterloo who preaches the gospel and calls men to repent and offers them through the gospel, the hope of eternal life and a transformed life and an opportunity to love their God and their neighbor forever. They think that they are the threat to the well-being of our country. But what, what is the, what is the consequence I mean, even Nine Marks did their, Nine Marks' latest journal was on the rise of Christian authoritarianism. (laughs) It's like, we're not, part of why we're advocating for this is obviously it's biblical. Obviously it's impossible otherwise, but we actually care about people. (laughs) Like, what is the consequence of rejecting God's law? Maybe we could talk about that. Like, it's, it's not good. It's not a neutral, tolerant, rainbow place. I think it's something that's warned about in in scripture and and this is why you have these antichrist states mm. um that rise up over and again in scripture so we need to we need to remember that when the 10 commandments were given to Israel it had, it had only been days mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. they had crossed the red sea mm-hmm. and had been slaves under a lawless government mm. um whereby pharaoh himself was um uh, you know he he was the law of the yeah. land and he claimed to own um, not just the property of the Hebrews, but the Hebrews themselves. And mm. so the deliverance of the law through Moses on Mount Sinai um, was, was, was a sign of freedom. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, within the Ten Commandments, I mean, I mean could you imagine, like, uh, there's a few, there's a whole bunch of ways I could take this, but you could imagine how how these people have literally been slaves for generations Mm -hmm. and every week just blends into the next. Like you don't, when you're a slave, you don't have a seven day week. Mm -hmm. It's just, your life is one long week. Mm -hmm. You wake up and the next day is the same as the day before is the same as the day before. And it's whatever the slave master says, are you going to get a whack across the back or the head? Mm -hmm. And so the gift of the fourth commandment, um, to have a Sabbath day all of a sudden gave them a structure that they they likely hadn't experienced mm. because because now what the Sabbath day was saying to them is you're no longer owned by the Pharaoh. Mm. I own you. God mm. owns you, mm-hmm. right? And God is gracious enough to give you a day of rest yes. and worship mm-hmm. and, to, and to give you structure to your week so your life isn't just one long big week. And then, or how about the, you know, you shall not, commit adultery Mm. like what a gift that commandment would be considering what abraham in genesis abraham believed to be true about the pharaoh and that is that if he sees a woman he likes he takes her and puts her into his harem yeah yeah so the commandment to not commit adultery now all of a sudden protects you from having a stronger man who is in power and has the has the government underneath him saying hey I like your wife. I'm taking her for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so this is a protection for these people. And then the commandment that you shall not steal. Wow, you mean you mean I don't just get to be able to count the days of my weeks? I don't just get uh, like I get to have my own wife. Mm. And and the Pharaoh's not allowed to abuse the women of of Israel anymore. Mm-hmm. And and then I can have my own property mm-hmm. and I can use it to make money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff is we see the law and we're like, Oh, if you want to abide by the 10 commandments, that means slavery. 
No, this this is <laughs> no. called the law of liberty. Yes, by yeah. the apostle James. Yeah, because it was given to a people who were just freed. Yes, and 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 it becomes slavery to us if we think we need to obey the law in order to be saved. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. That's 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 slavery to, um, uh, to the the covenant of works mm-hmm. because we're never going to obtain that salvation mm-hmm. uh, because we we just can't. We're sinners. We're lawbreakers. Mm-hmm. But when the law is upheld, is the moral standard by the people mm-hmm. and the government itself, it means that you actually have a free people. And and so, th- to answer your question, what happens when we remove the law slavery. is the people become slaves. Yes. Yep. And that's where we are right now. Yes. People think we became slaves during COVID. No, we were already slaves. Mm-hmm. It was just amplified during COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we still live in a country where you know your highest income earners are paying 50% tax just on their income yeah never mind when they buy gas or when they buy a product at the grocery store mm-hmm. or um when you know you name it what i just bought airline tickets and mm-hmm. the amount of the amount of fees and taxes that are structured into an airline flight is unreal so it's like all of this stuff and then and then is a is a church you know, we like to think of ourselves as a free institution. Well, are we? Mm. Because when our treasurer writes payroll, he he's forced at gunpoint to take money off the staff's paycheck and give it to the government. Mm-hmm. So that's work that we're actually having to do as a church for the government. Mm-hmm. So all of, all as I'm saying is, as you remove that law, is the structure and foundation of society. And now what you have is you're operating at the whims of your government mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, at gunpoint so that the person with the most guns is the one that makes the rules. Yeah, this is really good. So one mm-hmm. of the one of the things that struck me, I remember being in Dr. Gentry's class, but he highlighted the idea that the thou shalt nots are structured in the Decalogue the way they are because they're built upon the assumption that there are, are inherent responsibilities that you have to your neighbor. So when it says you that you shall not kill, it means you need you have the they have an inherent right and you have an inherent responsibility to respect that right. Yeah. So they have the right to life, they have the right to their wife, they have the right to property. This is the thing. We have lived in a culture that enjoys the fruit of abiding by the moral law of God, generally speaking, or has for a long time, we have no idea. We we got a taste of it, but we have very little idea what it is like to live under the tyranny of the rule of men. And so, I mean, I was listening to a podcast this week about this Nigerian guy who became a, a Navy SEAL, okay? His dad was a chief, which is essentially a king over there. Worked his way up in the 70s, genius guy, went to England for education, came back, architect. He bought a huge plot of land, an island. He wanted to make it the Nigerian Wall Street. So we're talking the equivalent of $100 million today he purchased this for. Very successful man. There's a political uprising, the new the military coup. They come in, they take his land. It's like, no, it's ours. And... This guy, long story short, this guy and his wife, his dad ends up being killed. This the the mother and the children go back to the Bronx where they live in poverty and he grows up on the streets. It's like you, everyone today thinks of property rights as greedy capitalism or something like yeah. that. It's like no, no. Your property is your life. Like we're we're so removed from this. If you don't have land, you don't have resources. If you don't have resources, you don't you have nothing to build upon. If and everything would, can go in a second. Go ahead. 
I would argue though, like I, I agree. We don't, we don't understand what it's like to live under um, the extreme forms of lawlessness that yeah. you, for example, saw in, in the Soviet bloc. Mm. But I also don't think we understand what it is to live in a free society like That's our, right. like our, like our grandfathers and great grandfathers did. Yeah. And so my grand, my great grandfather lived in a society where there was no income tax. Mm. If you believe it or not, like mm-hmm. income tax is brought in in the first world war mm-hmm. is a temporary emergency measure in order to fund the war effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they never took it away. Mm. And, and so could you imagine living in a society where you don't have to do all the deductions on the payroll and you like, how stressful is it for you? My wife owns a little business and I, I have a, I have my own salary that I have to do. And so at the end of the year, you got to compile all of these receipts mm. and you actually have to pay someone. So there's an industry that's built up on tax compliance. Mm-hmm. Like how, how easier would life be for all of these businesses and for you and me as individuals, if we didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that our grandfathers lived. Mm-hmm. So we, yes, we don't know how, what it's like to live under the, the heavy hand of Soviet tyranny mm-hmm. our our lawlessness in in some third world um you know i don't know how you want to say it but just some hellscape mm-hmm. um but we also don't know what it's like to be free no because we're not free like our grandfathers were yeah well and our great grandfathers were and and the scripture talks about this as well but it, the, the thing about one of the unique features of god's standard of righteousness is that all people are equal. Whereas when you remove that, it's not as though, um, like the wealthy, even in our country, they can afford to find ways around paying taxes, for example. So it's like, if you make 150000 you probably pay more taxes than the guy who makes $5 million because he has probably found a way to get around it. But even further than that, like during COVID, for example, is the greatest wealth distribution in the history of the world from the middle class to the upper class. The elites at the top of the food chain did amazing. So when they say we're all in this together, we're not in this together that the economic destruction actually was disproportionate. It was on the bottom of the food chain. So whereas Israel's laws had gleaning laws, for example, you know, you actually were commanded to leave a, 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 a perimeter around your field for those who were truly in need and we care for yeah. one another. You couldn't take a, a person's millstone as a pledge because then they couldn't work anymore to earn money. Yeah. You know, there's like, all these just laws. People are treated fairly. They're treated justly. It doesn't mean they're treated the same in the sense that they have the same things, but they're treated with true justice. Well, Justin Trudeau and the politicians and and the people who are telling us that we'll own nothing and be happy in 2030, do you think they're joining us in that? Do you think they are giving up their property rights? They're not. The property that we're going to have to live in and not own is owned by someone. It's just not going to be us. So you're going to have also... Like, what I'm saying is biblical law is an is a, a antidote against tyranny. It's an antidote right. against the abuse of authority. And it's an upholding of the dignity and the worth of every single human being. It, I guess it's safe to say, and this is to your point, Jacob, that when we uh, spurn God's law and want to live our own way, he's going to give us over to some form of slavery. Mm-hmm. You saw this in scripture with mm-hmm. the Israelites who wanted a king. 
right? They didn't want God to rule out, rule over them and go before them and fight their battles for them. They wanted a king like the nations. And yeah. Samuel said, okay, but you know, you're going to end up paying all these taxes to him. He's going to be able to take your product and you're your, fighting your daughters. His wars. And you're fighting his wars. And, and they were more than happy to give up their freedom mm. for mm-hmm. whatever they thought they were going to get in return. Mm-hmm. But that's, I guess that's just sort of baked, baked into the cake of sin, right? Is if you won't be a slave to Christ, you're going to be a slave to sin or some other man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of Jacob's point. It's like, we don't actually know what it is to be free. Right. As free as we've been, we could be that much freer. You know, if we would truly repent and turn to the Lord and live according to his righteousness. Well, yeah. Just here's one anecdotal example. I know people who I've heard of people connected with people who who have had property up in Muskoka on a lake, mm-hmm. okay, and and had to sell the property up in Muskoka on a lake because the property tax went up so much. Yeah, right. So you can't like where's the private property rights in that? So mm-hmm. basically, I'm a renter from the government when mm-hmm. I'm paying property mm-hmm. tax. Mm-hmm. So the home values in my neighborhood have gone up massively since COVID. Mm-hmm. And so they're reassessing our home values and then they're going to be reassessing our tax rate on the basis of the reassessment of our home values. And I'm sitting back thinking, okay, how long does this go on when we have the same story going around here that went on with a lot of people up in Muskoka when Mm -hmm. they started to jack up the tax rates Mm -hmm. um, uh, around the lake properties there? And it's not like so they improved it, your services. Like the snow plows is still the same snow plows or yeah, whatever. No, and I'm surprised the services are worse because yeah. we're trying to save the environment. They only take my garbage every other week as opposed to every week. <laughs> right. So the fact that your house, house is worth more uh, doesn't mean they have to provide you with more services. Yeah. <laughs> no, in fact, I'm getting less services. Yeah. yeah. I'm same, getting less services. Same yeah. here. They're just about to reduce mm-hmm. our garbage uh, pickup. We are, their, we are their underlings. Yeah. And... And they are they are literally the parasitical class mm-hmm. that is that are sucking the blood out of the people who are their slaves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds radical, but when you compare how we're living in a relationship to our government to how our forebearers lived in a relationship to their government, it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm recalling a conversation we had with Jonathan Wellam on the podcast, and he's mentioning from an economics perspective. If you just look at the Reformation and where the Reformation took the deepest root, like unequivocally, that's where human flourishing is. That's right. And if you look at Catholic places, so that even had, you know, you know, something resembling Christianity, there's still a disparity. There's still a great disparity between, say, South American Catholic nations even Spanish between the the European, Northern European, and then, you know, eventually North American, um, countries that experienced the gospel and the the law, the standard of God's righteousness that comes with that and the laws that are shaped on that. It didn't it it took us out of slavery. Like it took us yeah. out of a world where you have you are peasants and kings. The the middle class has never existed. It has never existed in the history of the world until post Reformation. And there's a variety of factors that go into that and you know, the industrial revolution, this and that, but the idea that people can have um, an opportunity based on their worth, the, the idea that people can own their wife and their husband and their family and their property, that they have a right to a fair trial, that these types of things, these were born out of the gospel. And they actually, 
empirically. Like we're not we're not having a speculative conversation about theorizing of some utopia that we dream about. We're saying like the world has already experienced this on a massive degree unequivocally and we can have observed this and we are suicidally you know at, at detriment to ourselves rejecting Christ. And and the threat to Canada is not Trinity Bible Chapel and Hill City Baptist Church, that if everyone was to get on board with what we're saying, everyone would do better. (laughs) Even the pagans, you know? It's like, look, why do people come to Canada? Why do people come to the United States? Why why doesn't everybody... I don't know. I don't know anymore. Well, yeah, but why why don't we (laughs) all move to Yemen? Yeah, well, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, at this this point... (laughs) We've got a couple people at uh, Westmount that have recently immigrated to Canada, and they're you know they're all excited about being here. And I, I talk to them like, "What are you thinking, man? What, yeah, what are you doing?" Well, you know? we but then you hear where they come from. Like, okay, it's still better a little bit. Uh, yeah, for but now. it's crazy. I mean, like a friend of ours again from another country is looking for work, and she can't get a job, and she's applied to like two hundred jobs because she didn't take a particular medical experiment that has been proven and publicly stated even by our prime minister to be dangerous. Like they just won't even look at her resume unless she takes the jab. Like it's, it's, it's like we, we pride ourselves on being a free country, but we're not a free country. Like we, we still require medical procedures in order to just earn a living. Right. And medical procedures have been proven dangerous. Why do we transition to, um, this article and, and maybe some issues that stem from it, some conversation. So as we said, Jacob and some others were featured in a CBC article, um, basically highlighting who they refer to as fundamentalist reconstructionist. Um, I guess they, they, they did call us evangelicals, but fringe evangelicals, not mainstream evangelicals. And, um, there was a there was an article we'll link to that. There's a podcast we'll link to that. But I wanted to read a quote from Jacob that they quoted him on, and I'm assuming this is an accurate quote. And and I they're portraying this as kind of a scary statement. Yeah, they're trying to scare the listeners. So this is what Jacob said. They they said from the pulpit, a Christless existence leads to the dark, hopeless abyss of death. Um. If you're going to live a lie to the point where you're willing to mutilate your own body, it's going to send you into a dark despair. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, what is controversial about this statement? That this is this is just plain fact. This is statistical reality. That if you teach people, if you confuse people, and then you groom people, and then you train them to have contempt for themselves and you push them towards extreme practices of mutilation, they're going to be in trouble. It's going to lead to misery. Um, and they're trying to say that, the, that pointing this out is actually the threat. This is what Isaiah said when people actually invert good and bad. When, you, when light and dark become more, there's a moral inversion that takes place in a culture. This is it. When the preacher is standing up and warning against the destruction of sin and highlight and, and the misery of people who are ensnared in it, and they're actually saying that this guy is the bad guy, 
I mean, you've been mm. given over to such a degree as a culture um, that that's got to be scary. So what were your thoughts when you read this, Jacob? I mean, you knew this was coming, I think, right? We knew there was something dropping or did you not know you were going to be in it? No, I knew they were snooping around because yeah. they, I mean, if, if you listen to their um, little audio documentary, they, they had people in their, they, they, they stopped people in our church parking lot one mm. Sunday. So I knew, and they'd emailed us a few times. I okay. didn't want to, I didn't want to reply. And, and one of the reasons I didn't want to reply to them is because like, if like the CBC is, 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 is run by scoundrels and mm. the, if it's, if it's trans, they're good. If it's euthanasia, it's wonderful. If mm. it's, you know, communist global warming po- policies, it's wonderful. It's almost like sitting down with the CTV would be like sitting down with the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. Like it's mm-hmm. just, these people are, are, are moral vermin mm-hmm. and, um, and they no, they are. And they, they are the lowest of the low as far as their, their thinking. And that doesn't mean they're not human beings. They're human beings, but, but they are absolute scoundrel. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but anyway, they, so I didn't want to talk to them and right. that's, that's pretty well why I, I just don't want to associate with people like that publicly. If they want to talk privately, I'd be happy to minister the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd much rather associate with people publicly who have integrity, mm. but the, um, the, the article I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad they quoted me saying those things. I didn't yeah. like it. They said, I talked about a trans, a tranny that killed her, killed himself um, or herself. I can't remember which it was. I think it was a girl that, yeah, it was a girl that had a mastectomy and mm. became pretended she was a boy and then killed herself a few weeks after she tragically after she had the uh, mastectomy. Mm. And um, it was a university student at Redeemer University. They said I spent a bunch of time in my sermon talking, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. It was it was a few minutes that mm. was just an illustration because the whole sermon was on suicide. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that week that I, I saw an article in the Hamilton Spectator about that unfortunate and dreadful event. Mm-hmm. Absolutely tragic and um and shameful and and disgraceful and morbid in, in mm-hmm. so many in so many different ways mm-hmm. um for on, on the part of so many different people too and um and so i didn't like that they said that and then they said that i i made some slurs and and so on so i don't know what a i, I guess tranny is a slur now so mm-hmm. i said tranny and and i said it again on your show so here's some more slurs oh, man. for you but throw that gas on the fire yeah. <laughs> tranny, tranny, tranny. But anyway, I am um... <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, um, you're safe here, uh, Jacob. Okay, I know, but but um Mr. Mont Petit might be listening and he might yeah, get me on true. some more slurs. <laughs> but I um I uh, but the rest of it I thought, you know, they said our church had 200 people in it, which is not true. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was but, funny. I was like, "You mean in the lobby?" <laughs> like, I thought, yeah, I thought he was referencing the. Uh, he was referencing some conference at that point. It wasn't you guys. He was no, no. He said our church oh, had yeah? 200 yeah. people in it, and I'm thinking like, yeah, like we have 600 per service and yeah, two services, 200 so. in the daycare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, maybe 200 babies in the womb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a bit of an exaggeration but anyway it, it was um that was that wasn't right but mm-hmm. otherwise i'm like yeah i'm glad he quoted me and in fact in the in the little documentary they did the 35 minute 40 minute audio documentary they the gospel was shared absolutely clearly mm-hmm. and in fact mm-hmm. they he shared the testimony of a man who had been doing marijuana and looking at porn and drinking and 
and um, was in trouble with the law. And then he got saved as if this is some type of dreadful thing that the man found hope in Jesus Christ. Like yes. what kind of, yes. what kind of morbid creature do you have to be to think that that's an awful thing? The man found hope and, and now this is being presented as some type of terrible incident. So mm. these, this, these people are, are calling evil good and good evil. They yes. are, they are on the verge if they haven't already of blasphemy of the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is an unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. And so that's not good. But other, I, I like the way they represented me other than those few little things here and there that, mm-hmm. I, that I mentioned. So a couple of follow-up questions for you. Do you, they use the term um, reconstructionist. And this is this, they were quoting some scholar who threw out the phrase. Drawbridge. Yeah. Um, part of the problem, yeah, so, go ahead, Jacob. So uh, reconstructionist, I I think I know what the term means. I know Rush Dooney was a reconstructionist. Yeah. I've read all three volumes of Rush Dooney's Institutes, mm-hmm. and and from reading it, I gleaned a lot out of it that I found was helpful. And but it's like anything, you eat the fish and you spit out the bones. Mm-hmm. But I did find um, Rush Dooney insightful on a lot of things, and I'm and I found Gary North to be insightful mm-hmm. on a lot of things. And, and so I think that first generation of reconstructionists, I think there's a lot of things that, that we can glean from them, mm-hmm. but our, our, our Banson, I've, I've listened to his stuff and, and I've, and I've gleaned from him too. So I don't know, I don't know whether I qualify as a reconstructionist because mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how you define it, but do I think that, that the moral law of God, the 10 commandments applied should be, um, should become public policy. I absolutely do, but I don't think that's, Something that's that's not something that's isolated to Rush Dooney no. and and Bonson. And I think the issue with Rush Dooney and Bonson is they probably wanted to take the case laws yes. and apply them one to one, which I don't think you can do. No. So I'm not with them on that. But I do think you can learn from some of their exegesis on the case laws. But as far as applying the Ten Commandments, I mean, if if the English speaking people have been in existence since the eighth or ninth century, the time of King Alfred and before. I mean, what made the English-speaking people great was that King Alfred took the Ten Commandments and made it into the common law of England mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and united the country that was divided by the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I guess guilty is charged if that's what I want to do. But And that's what the greatest leaders of, of our history have done. Yeah. Um, right up into and including, although imperfectly, um, at Confederation, when they received the English common law and constitution as our own constitution, mm-hmm. which was rooted in the Ten Commandments. Now, that was erased when we brought in the charter in mm-hmm. 1982, mm-hmm. and we and we did away with that tradition, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think we're better for it. In fact, I think we're worse for it. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, mm-hmm. where I agree with, with virtually everything you said. Um, I do think, however, there's a play being run which the Christians and non-Christians are both kind of running on people in our camp, and and this is to categorize our views with terms that are that are fringe terms to suggest that our views are fringe. So, the idea that the moral law of God, we can even say, as summarized in the Decalogue. Um, should serve as the basis for our country's laws is just what our country did. 
Like this is Western right. culture. So this is not a this is not a fringe idea that arose in the seventies. Okay, this is something that is um, well. I mean, we would probably say this is just biblical, uh, but it's certainly been demonstrated in Western culture for centuries. Um, what they're grouping us in with is the idea is a particular view of the old covenant and its relationship to present civil society. And that is a, a bigger discussion where people who do agree that God's righteousness should be the standard of righteousness for a country and that the Decalogue could even serve as a helpful summary of those things disagree on exactly how we apply those things. But even in Christian circles, like I was reading Jonathan Lehman, an article the other day, and he's talking about theonomy in his first footnote says, by theonomy, I'm referring to those who see a direct correspondence, a one-to-one correspondence between the Mosaic civil commands and today. And I'm thinking, that's not me. That's no not me. one believes that. Yeah. No one believes no. that. Joe, no, I think Rush Duty might have. Yeah, I'm like, saying. Like he's, I'm saying today, like, like, but I don't think any in our circle do. Like, I, I don't even think Doug Wilson believes that. He's he's no, he general doesn't. equity. Yes, yeah. Doug Doug doesn't believe this. Doug has publicly said that he's not a Reconstructionist. That's right. And so to 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 cat it, what Nine Marks is doing is they're talking about guys like Jacob and guys like Joe Boot. They're they're concerned about these guys. And they're categorizing them as theonomists, but it's a straw man argument because what they mean by theonomy. They're equivocating. They're equivocating. It's yeah. what no one actually believes in a direct correspondence of all the civil laws to society today. No one I've ever heard in our like I've read, I read John, like I have John Gill's uh, systematic theology. I think it's called like Body of Divinity or something. Yeah. Yeah, and he he has a whole section on the role of the magistrate. Yeah, and he he lit, like he's a Baptist from yeah. the 18th century. He's he was the standard theologian for the 18th century for the Baptist, yeah. and he he literally says in it that the the job of the magistrate is to uphold both tables of the law. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is a is a Baptist, so so not just the the second table, which are you know the application of the commandment to love your neighbors, but the first table, so including. Gill says public acts of blasphemy and idolatry. Mm-hmm. So that, and that is a strain of Baptist thought that was pretty dominant. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I I didn't read the whole nine marks journal. I read one article in it and I thought these guys are just, they're either being completely disingenuous yeah, yeah. or they're totally confused yeah. and they're really smart people. So yeah. I don't think they're totally confused, no. but I don't think they're, I don't think they lack so much integrity that they'd be that disingenuous. It it felt it felt disingenuous and in the very least born out of fear. Like they they genuinely are terrified of this and they think it's an enormous threat. And so they say a lot of true things and then draw a bunch of non sequiturs yeah. in an attempt to dismiss this. And it's that's partly why we wanted to have these conversations. Some, something that I keep going back to in my mind is that a lot of this just seems like Christians who are ashamed of God's law, who are ashamed of, of what it says mm-hmm. and are afraid to have to defend God's morality. Mm-hmm. Like, is could there be just that simple? Like, we don't like God's law and so we don't want to have to defend it? Or the public, the public nature of it. I mean, Israel was meant to be a light to the nations as well. And the, the church is meant to be a city on a hill. And we're, we're meant to when light comes in contact with darkness, there is a, a confrontation. 
it's funny that all these guys love the reformers. It's like, do you know that John Knox was a public theologian? Like, do you know that he wrote books about the queen? <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. what what was it about her, about how women shouldn't be rulers? The, the, I can't remember. Well, the so, first blast of yeah. the trumpet against the evil regiment of women? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think Calvin got mad at him for that, though. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think there was an issue because just as, just as Bloody Mary was stepping out, I think, and he was writing that against her, and then... And then Queen Elizabeth the first came in, and and Calvin's like, you shouldn't have done that because you just blew it with Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So they're trying. So. They're trying to frame this as we disagree that the old covenant should apply directly, but no one's actually advocating for that. And I think what their real concern is is they don't feel confidence that it should be applied at all. Like they don't feel confidence that Christians should say this is the standard of righteousness that God requires of humanity, and this is the. Standard standard by which everyone will be judged. This is the standard by which we should comprise our laws. They just feel uneasy about that. They feel uncomfortable with that. And they're making these sophisticated and clever arguments by, by, for why their problem is really that we have a fringe view of the application of the law when we actually don't. And that's not actually what we're advocating for. That, that, that's my take on things. So would you refer? I think, to- I think my take is is much simpler and more uh, accurate. <laughs> they don't like the God. They just law. don't like God's law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that there's. I no. I and I'm partly joking, but all of us at times when we when we're reading God's word, we're confronted that some with something that we don't like, and we and our our sinful man goes ooh. Ooh man, how would I defend that in an apologetic situation? And yeah. it's easier just to explain it away. And but we just have to kill that, right? Like we have to So I would maybe yeah, I agree with that. I would maybe say we don't believe God's law is good. Right. And this is the this is part of what human sin is. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden that God looked at the world that he had made and he said this is good. And they looked at it at the garden and they said this is not enough. And um in our sinful hearts we see God's word and his ways and his wisdom and his righteousness. And we do not truly believe that it is good. And these guys who are attacking, like base, we hold very orthodox positions that essentially everyone held until five minutes ago, as if we are the threat, their, their morality is off. It's like mutilating kids is a threat. Forced vaccinations is a threat. My dad dying alone in long-term care is a threat. But these guys, it's the same with lockdowns. They said jack all because they don't actually care. They don't actually care. It's like they're having these vain conversations about things. And it's like the difference between your team and my team is we talk about the ruin and the misery of the sheep and the people on the ground. And you can't even look at it. So this is not about a particular fringe view of the Mosaic Covenant. This is about, do you think God's word is true? Do you think God's law is good? Do people suffer when his law is abandoned? Like this whole, Christians shouldn't care, we shouldn't fight for our rights. It's like, do you know what you're saying? Do you know the kind of hellscape that is going to exist for your kids if we simply say that God should not be obeyed? Do you know what's coming? And like, we presently mutilate our children. We presently kill them in the womb. 
we presently give pills to the elderly and tell them if they are just having a bad day, they can kill themselves. Like we presently do these things. How much worse is this going to get for people? And, 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 and so God's law is not some, it's not just some um, mechanical, tyrannical standard that judges us or something like that. It is, it is for our good. Mm. It is, this is how the world is and this is how we ought to live in it to glorify him, but for the greatest human flourishing. So if you don't care about God's righteousness, you actually don't love your neighbor. That was the, that's what my sermon was for. Right. You can't say you love your neighbor if you don't care about what that looks like on the ground. Right. It it just becomes an empty sentiment and absolutely meaningless. Well, they, how can you love your neighbor if you want if you're if you're advocating for violations of of second table offenses? Yes. So yes. so you're not loving your neighbor if you're and and now we're going back to COVID lockdowns, but this is where the law of God really would have made a lot of sense if mm-hmm. people had have actually applied it, like some of us tried to. Mm-hmm. And you're you're not loving your neighbor if you're thinking it's a good idea for the government to come in and seize their private property, like mm-hmm. they did with a lot of businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. you see businesses in your community that went under. Mm-hmm. You know, they went under. People invest their mortgages in it, their lives, and they lose their shirts because mm-hmm. the government came in and shut them down. They basically stole private property, and that's and that's covetousness. Like mm-hmm. like people people coveted mm-hmm. good health to the point that they were willing to sin to get it by stealing their neighbor's private property mm-hmm. to get good health. And so all of these guys that were advocating for lockdowns, they were advocating for all kinds of second table violations, mm-hmm. including the 10th commandment, which is, uh, you know, you shall not covet. Well, you mm-hmm. shall not covet your health or mm-hmm. your neighbor's health. Mm-hmm. And if and if and if getting healthy means seizing your neighbor's private property, it mm-hmm. still doesn't mean you have a right to seize your neighbor's private property. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even work anyway. So yeah. it was all a lie. It was built mm-hmm. on a false premise. And we forbid people from working because for, yeah. So it, so for, fourth commandment. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you know you you six days you shall labor, and so you forbid people from obeying the entire fourth commandment from laboring for six days and worshiping for one day. Mm -hmm. And then first commandment violations, you shall have no other God um, before me so that the government's now calling shots and, and they're discerning or how about second table, second commandment violations. If, if the, if the first, if, if it's true that we shall not make graven images, then it's also true that we should be worshiping God the way he designs. Mm -hmm. And so by saying the state can come in and tell us how to worship yeah, God yeah. on Zoom, that's a, that's a second commandment violation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a second commandment violation is a first commandment violation because if you're going to violate the second commandment for the sake of the state, you're saying you have another God another in place God. of the God of the Bible who is a state. Yeah, yeah. So you worship God wrong because your God told you to worship him wrong and your God is not the God of the Bible. It was the state that told you to worship that way. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't. I don't yeah. know why we can still keep whitewashing over all this with all the time we've had yeah. to think about it. Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah, and there's an attempt still. I mean, the journal, the Nine Marks Journal, is a part of that. There's, a, there's, it's like the most important thing they could think of is that we need to cut off these guys. We need to head this off. We need to get ahead of this. You know. Yeah. And now we're seeing like, calls for amnesty, right? Oh, we just white flag amnesty. Let's all get back together. It's like, well, how do we have? How can you have fellowship with somebody who doesn't acknowledge their sin? Like. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, words like love and worship and justice and human rights, they have no meaning 
apart from God's word. They they just mean absolutely nothing. They're reduced to sentiment at best, and at worst, it's just it's you making up your own law, yeah. right? It's it's ascribing yeah. to yourself authority that belongs to God. Um, so maybe I, maybe we'll like kind of close talking more pastorally. Um, part of the reason I really wanted to talk to you, Jacob, is that as much as you are a public theologian, and you obviously your sermons are very theological, they're rooted in the Bible. Um, you know, I've I've really been blessed by your writing ministry over the years, and I know you've put in time to to deal with things that are points of controversy that are confusing for a lot of Christians. Um, but you are a, you're not just a public theologian or a private theologian. You're you're a pastor, but you shepherd people. You preach to the same people week in and week out. Um, that for you, there are there are practical consequences to these things. This is this is not some just idea up in the clouds um, or some political movement for you. That this is born out of the ministry that you have to people at Trinity Bible Chapel and your neighbors in Waterloo Region. And so maybe maybe something like this. How have you seen um, your insistence that Christ has authority over the entire nation and over every person and over every sphere of their life? Like, what has been some of the fruit that you've seen in your congregation because of this? I'm really glad you asked that question because I think the perception of some is that we're a congregation of activists. No. And I don't, and I'm, and I'm not even, I don't even consider myself an activist. Like one of the insinuations in that article by CBC is that I'm a political organizer. Like I'm, I'm not a political organizer. I've been invited to even, you know, be involved in political organizing, especially in the last few elections. And I haven't done it. I don't want to be doing it. Yeah. And I've, I've um, gotten to know some politicians um, over the years and have spoken into them um, with sharp words when I've had to, and mm. um, have tried to minister to them with the gospel and prayer um, uh, when I've had to, and had the opportunity to. But I'm not. I'm not a political organizer, and I desire. I do not desire to be a political organizer. I've been invited to, and I have turned it down again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so we're not a congregation activist. No. No. Are there activists in our congregation? Yes, but. Do we have political ideals that are fairly united across the congregation? Yes. But what I'm seeing in my congregation and in my own life, too, is the desire not just to see, not primarily to see the law of God implemented in Ottawa or Queens Park and our municipal seat of power, but to see the law of God implemented in our hearts and our homes. Mm. And and we're seeing and, and we're seeing literally that love, level of, of brokenness and childlike faith among us where people are, are wanting and eagerly wanting to learn how to do that, where they're, they're, they're wanting to submit to the word of God. And then I think it's from applying it in our hearts and our homes and our church that we're like, you know what, if this was applied politically, it would make a lot of sense because we're seeing how much it makes sense practically. And we just love righteousness. So we'd like to see righteousness reign in the land. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've seen the word of God create confidence in people's lives as they go through crisis because they're learning to trust in God's sovereignty as they go through crisis and produce a level of peace and then produce a level of righteousness and order and loving structure within their homes. So not one of the things that I've taught our church is if you're going to govern a home, you know, don't govern your home with a whole bunch of rules. God gave us 10. 
How how much did you like it when you had thousands of rules during the COVID times? You hated it and you chafed under it. So don't do that with your children. Mm. Create an atmosphere of love where there's a few really easy rules to follow and then uphold those rules. Mm-hmm. And and so you're seeing homes that are flourishing where families love each other. Um, they're structured properly. Children are being educated properly and they're well behaved. They love their parents. The parents love their kids. You know, even teenagers love their parents. And, the, you know, like this is not normal stuff for society today, but it's it's what's happening in our church. And I'm very and I'm most grateful and honored and feel privileged to be part of something like that, to see it on a daily basis, fleshed out within the lives of our, of our growing and flourishing congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote Jacob. I went down there to speak at a, a men's breakfast and I didn't, I told them when I think men's breakfast, I think a couple of, you know, shifty and depressed men in a church basement. <laughs> like that's, that's what I was thinking, but there was, there was clo- 200. It was yeah, at least 200. Well, I think it was closer to 300 guys. And it was almost distracting um, for me to be while well, I was speaking to them because I was taken aback by how um, closely they were listening to what I was saying. Like, and I don't know if you've, for those who have spoken to men and done so frequently, especially a bunch of men, um, it was, it was such a unique experience. And basically it was a sign of God's work that there was a hunger and there's a humility in the congregation and I, I mean, I hope and, and even pray that this reporter, that if he was actually there, you know, I would even encourage him to go back, you know, go back and sit. And what, what do you actually see? Do you see a church full of activists who are, you know, raging against the pagans? Or do you see a place that is the word of God has produced a spirit of love and peace and unity and humility? And I mean, what I, what I was, teaching to them basically was like, we need to examine our own lives and our own hearts to take a, we, we can't change everything out there, but we're responsible for us. And it, it's, it fell, it fell heavy and it, it landed on soft hearts. And so I, I can just echo what, what Jacob's saying and testify that, you know, what God's doing in Trinity Bible Chapel is, is, you know, producing spirit filled believers who love his word love the Lord Jesus Christ and just simply want to want to obey him. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's what it looks like, you yeah. know, to, to, to call on Christ as Lord and follow him as such. Yeah. And seeing that, uh, seeing that start in the home and, and work its way out is mm-hmm. encouraging too. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's easier to be practical that way. Cause I, I know the ways in which I'm, weak and frail and these are the things i need to to work on and so trying to fix that by implementing it you know in society at large is not the way right it's got to be the other way around mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well that's good i mean that's that kind of those are the main things that i wanted to hit on jacob i don't know if there's anything else you want to you're burning to conclude with no um nothing i have uh a young couple that's getting married in a couple of weeks that I have to meet with in right. a short second here to do Great. some premarital counseling. Well, we got to so let you go to that. That's important um, stuff. They're they're in the office now, listening in on this lovely conversation, <laughs> and they're eager to um, <laughs> learn how to apply the, the law of God to their future marriage. So I'm uh, looking forward to meeting with them, and it's been a pleasure to meet with you, brothers, too. That's great. That's great, Jacob. Well, mm-hmm. we appreciate you, brother. We pray for you. We love you. We're thankful for you, and. Uh, 
we we hope you have a great meeting and we look forward to chatting with you again thank you okay thanks brothers thanks for having me on your podcast take care <laughs>